Welcome back. I hope everybody got a good rest. I had a nice walk around the lake. That was really sweet. Made my body feel good to move. So what are we gonna do today, this or this afternoon for this session? Well, today we're going to take care of our heads. We've been taking care of our bodies, really focusing on our bodies but I wanna take care of our head today, our mind. So before I do that, I'm gonna say a couple more words about clearing our listening space, and then I want to give you a tool that you might be able to use to deepen your listening. And this is gonna be a lot of words, and there's technology involved. After all, we're talking to the mind, right? So we've got computers and screens and microphones, and that's the language of the mind. And I'm hoping that you will be able to use this tool uh, to listen more deeply and more clearly, more completely. So we've talked a lot about clearing the listening space in the body. I wanna make a couple suggestions about clearing the listening space in our mind and in our heart. So the mind. So in clearing the listening space of our mind, it seems our primary task is recognizing our habitual thoughts so that we can clear them from the listening space. Usually we go through life simply reacting based on our habitual thoughts. It doesn't mean we're very free when we do that. We don't even know they're there mostly. We just receive something, and we immediately react. No awareness, no freedom. Someone says that, I do this. Someone doesn't say that, I do this. You know, it's just automatic, boom, boom, boom. And we generate so many of those thoughts that we don't have room to receive the world as it is. We're just looking at the world through this wash, Every one of us has a different colored wash, but that's what we see. There's that, there's an adage that's been attributed to a number of people, I'm not sure who the actual author was, but it says, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. And you put 
three or four people in the room to witness the same thing, and you have three or four completely different stories. It's amazing. And that's all because we're filtering through the wash of our habitual thoughts. Now we could do a whole retreat just on this. But I, all I'd like to say about that for now is that the only way I really know to get to the bottom of that is a contemplative practice. A practice that brings those thoughts in front of us repeatedly so that we know them and we begin to recognize them and eventually transform them. But until we do that, we are the victim of our thoughts. It would be fun to do another retreat on this very subject, about all these thoughts that we generate and how it controls us and how we might get free. The other thing I wanted to mention about clearing a listening space is for doing that in our heart. So just as our mind gets clogged up with our thoughts, our heart gets clogged up with our emotions. Mm. So I'm gonna ask you to think of someone now. Close your eyes for a second here. And think about someone who wronged you. Someone who did something to you that you don't like. It might help to bring them right in front of you. Right here. Now, as you do this, check in with your heart. How much of your heart space is taken up by the resentment, the rumination, the anger, the resistance toward that very person? Emotions like judgment and anger and resentment are really efforts to control another person. They're like picking a hot coal up out of the fire with the intention to hurt them by throwing it at them. You may hit them, but you certainly burn yourself. So when we have those sorts of thoughts and feelings, it's a good indicator we're not listening. Okay, you can open your eyes. Thank you. So again, I think a contemplative practice is the way I know to free ourselves from those habitual emotions that fill the listening space of our heart. Okay, enough about that. Shall we do the tool? And we get to put things on the screen. Let's see if we can make this work. works. So this is a tool called three-centered listening. It's listening with the three centers of us, our heart, our head, and our body. And what I'd like to do is present this model to you, and I'm going to talk about each one of these things, and, uh, and we can make a little graphic of the model available to you later so that you don't feel like you have to sit here and write stuff down. But, you know, you've got a great mind. Let's fill that mind with some good stuff. Okay. So let's start first by talking about our head center, our thinking center. 
So this is where, the reason we start here is because this is where we usually function. Almost everything we do is up here in our head. And so what we do with our, with our head, with our thinking center, it's this great tool we have, is mostly we notice story. We notice story. Humans are hardwired for story. I've really noticed this as I give talks to people. If I can tell a story, people are paying attention. If I talk in the abstract, <laughs> I've been noticing the story of this place and of this community since I've been here. It's so lovely. I hear so much about the history of this place, the story of it, and the story of the generations of people that have made this possible. Lovely story. And we're just wired to receive those stories as human beings. It's the way we connect. So to listen with our head is to listen for the story. Everybody's got stories. And those stories for many people define who they are. I am this, I'm part of this tribe. I do this, I don't do that. That's all my story. And the wonderful thing about having a human mind is it's so sharp. We can use our rationality to hear people's stories and know something about them from their stories. But there's some things that we want to be careful of as we're listening to the stories with our head. So the first one is judgments. One of the things that blocks our ability to hear a story is we immediately fall into judging whether it's a good story or a bad story, right? And usually that means, does that agree with my own preconceptions or not? So as we're listening to the story, or as I'm listening to the story of the creation of this place, I have to watch, are there judgments that come up that prevent me from actually hearing the story and all I hear is my judgment about it? I've gotta be careful about that and be willing to set that aside. The perfect example of that is in the US and probably in Canada too, the political dysfunction is a really good example of how we can't hear each other's stories. We're just hearing our judgments about them. We wanna make them wrong and us right. I want my story to be right and your story to be wrong. So I just listen with that kind of a judging mind. I don't hear you. So that's one thing we wanna avoid. The other thing would be a sense of false certainty. So we all like to be right. Feels good to be right. But we're always wrong to some degree or another. Always. One of the gifts I've had is, as these talks I've given over the last few years have been recorded, I, when I gave the talk, it felt like, yeah, that's what I really wanted to say. And I go back and listen to it a couple years later, and I go, oh, really? I said that? <laughs> I thought I was right at the time. But now looking back, I say, hmm, I'm always wrong to some degree. So please take my words very lightly. <laughs> we need others to help us not have false certainty. Uh, Sarah and I used to work together at hospice. 
and we would meet uh, each week, our team, and we would go over the stories of our patients. And we would hear from the medical people, and you'd hear the medical story and you'd think, oh yeah, I got that. I know what's going on for that person. And then you'd hear from the social worker and you'd hear the psychological story or the environmental story, the social story. You'd think, okay, I know them. And you'd hear from the spiritual counselor and then you'd know something about the meaning making in their life. And you'd think, okay, I know them. But we didn't know them very well until we heard all of those stories together. And then we began to get a clearer picture. Still not the clear picture, we don't know really, but clearer than when it was just one point of view. And we had to hold that story lightly. After we told the story that week, we would come back two weeks later for each one of each patient and we'd do it again and we'd have to start over because if we were still holding on to that story, we're gonna miss the reality of what's happening for them. Okay, so how do we listen well with our head? Well, we wanna cultivate a sense of clarity. We wanna think clearly. Use this human mind in its clarity to its fullest. Not being clouded by our preconceptions of things. And the other thing we have to do is really pay attention. If we're not paying attention, we can't hear the story. So that's the head center. Simple enough, right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Let's go on to the heart center. So the heart center is our feeling center. We're gonna listen to the feelings, not just the facts, and the stories. So I like to think of this as we've got our head center story going, okay. Now let's not discard that, let's zoom out and include more. Let's zoom out and include the felt sense of what's going on. So what do we wanna notice here? We wanna notice primarily the feelings in the room. That might be personal feelings, that might be the group's feelings, the family's feelings, the feeling of this place. It has a feeling that we can notice. But it's, when we've listened for feelings in that way, it's easy for us to get entangled in them. Like the feeling of this place, I could get entangled in this. I go, oh, this feels really good, I want more of this. I wanna be here more often. That's just entanglement. That's not really listening. And oftentimes if we're listening to another person and they're telling us difficult feelings or we're picking up difficult feelings from them, it's pretty easy to get entangled in that by going too deep in there with them. Their suffering is their suffering. It's not necessarily our suffering. Something as a chaplain I really had to work with because I wanted to jump in real deep. So we also want to avoid the opposite, which is distancing. So when someone has a difficult emotion, we might want to run away from it. It's hard to be around somebody who's angry. It's hard to be around somebody who's anxious, who's feeling lost. 
So those are some things to really look at at avoiding. But there's some important things to cultivate here with our heart. And the first one of those is empathy. And I want to spend a little time on empathy because I don't think we understand it very well. You know, in fact, we didn't even have the word empathy in the English language until 1909. Yeah, there was a psychologist named Edward Titchener who coined that word for the English language. We have, we have words for the things that are important to us, that we understand or want to understand. We didn't have a word, I think that says something. Yeah, we don't really know quite so well about empathy. Uh, you know, we come from this rationalist tradition that values thinking. You remember Rene Descartes, he said, I think, therefore I am. And Thich Nhat Hanh's reply to that is, I think, therefore I am not. <laughs> <laughs> because he saw that the thinking was clogging the listening space, right? <laughs> We're not really present for our life. So there's two factors to empathy I'd like to point out, just kind of briefly here. The first factor of empathy is a cognitive understanding of what is happening for that person. You know, I might cognitively know this person is angry, this person is grieving, this person is sad. That's, that's my mind, I know that cognitively. But the other part of empathy is then also an emotional response to that. I can know it, but empathy asks me also to feel it, to feel along with them. So when we're being empathetic with someone, we can know what's happening and we can be willing to feel what's happening with them. Now, the other thing we cultivate here with listening with our heart is compassion. And compassion is empathy plus action. Empathy plus action. So I can have empathy for what's happening, for instance, to the people in Ukraine but I can't say unless I take some action that I have compassion. It requires me to do something, do something to relieve that pain. So again, that's a whole other retreat, compassion. But that's listening with our heart. We notice the feelings, we, be, we are a little concerned about becoming entangled or distanced from the feelings and then we cultivate a sense of empathy and compassionate action. So I warned it was going to be a lot of words. <clears throat> so let's start talking now about listening with our body. So the body is where we sense things. Our senses, our sight, our hearing, our taste, our touch. We sense things. So we zoom back in now to our body so that we can listen to another person by listening to our own body. Now, why would we do that? <clears throat> because what we want to notice here 
is how we are mirroring another person's experience. Now, mirroring is something that is really amazing. We have in our bodies mirror neurons. Mirror neurons fire in concert with the people that we are with. And we have a lot of them. Neurologists say we have as many mirror neurons in our body as a cat has brain neurons in their brain. And I'm not a neurologist uh, or an evolutionary biologist, but my guess here is that we probably developed this first. You know, if we're gonna be a tribal culture and we're gonna get along with everybody else, probably more important than understanding them is to feel with them. So when suddenly someone sees the lion, we all feel the fear immediately and get running. Right? You can see it in birds, right? The, the way a birds do the murmurations, they just instantly turned. The whole flock, instantly. So that's my guess. That's my guess. So mirroring really helps us to feel another person's experience. And that's really valuable. Really valuable. So we can use self-awareness as a diagnostic tool for understanding somebody else. I did this a lot in my chaplaincy work. And it's sometimes not exactly clear, am I feeling my own thing or am I feeling your thing? It takes a lot of practice. I remember early on in my hospital chaplaincy work, I went into a room uh, with a patient who was a woman in her 80s, lying in the bed. Her husband was standing there next to the bed and their adult son about my age was sitting in the room. And so I walked in and I began to engage with this family. And I noticed that right away I started to feel anxious. And I know that I'm feeling anxious because I noticed that my hands are doing this. That's how I know. My body knows a lot sooner than my mind. So I started to wonder, what is this? And I noticed that when I would speak with the woman who was the patient, she never had a chance to answer. Her husband answered. And when the adult son wanted to speak, his father cut him off and he took control of the room. And so I said, oh, wait a minute, this is my family. <laughs> this is my family. So am I anxious because this family has anxiety or am I anxious because I have anxiety, I don't wanna be here? I don't really know, even to this day, fully what it was. I was really grateful that I could step out and another chaplain could follow that family because I just knew I was either mirroring something or I was not really gonna be good, a very good use for them. So that's the receptive mirroring that we can do. We can pay attention to others, but there's also our mirroring that we send out to others. Other people are mirroring us right now in this retreat. If we go busting off across the grass in a hurry, other people mirror that experience. If we can come back to ourselves, 
follow our breath and our steps, other people mirror that experience. Our words can convey ideas, but our body conveys the truth and the meaning, and it does it body to body without us even knowing about it. So we can use this either positively or not so positively. I remember working with a, a doc in the, in the cancer center who sometimes I'd be in with a visit with the patient and, and this doctor was a good doctor, busy, and he would have this visit with the patient and then he would stand at the door at the end with his hand on the doorknob and he'd say, now, are there any questions? There were never any questions. <laughs> he clearly communicated one thing with his mouth, which was, are there any questions? And another thing with his body, which is, I'm very busy. If you ask me a question, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> right. So it might be really wonderful to wonder about what your body's sending out that other people might mirror. Like for instance, when you're having a conversation with someone, what does this send to them? What does this send to them? How about this? They know whether you're paying attention or not. Their body knows. So our presence and our composure and our calmness is a huge gift that we can offer people. Huge gift. Uh, Rachel Remen is a physician who I really like. She's been a, a leader in the end-of-life care world. And she wrote this in one of her books. I've learned to just respond to someone crying by listening. In the old days, I used to reach for the tissues until I realized that passing a person a tissue may be just another way to shut them down, to take them out of their experience of sadness and grief. Now I just listen. When they've cried all they need to cry, they find me there with them. This simple thing has not been that easy to learn. It certainly went against everything I'd been taught since I was very young. I thought people listened only because they were too timid to speak or didn't know the answer. A loving silence often has far more power to heal and to connect than the most well-intentioned words. So she realized her body opened the listening space for someone else. She communicated that. Okay, so what do we want to avoid about listening with our body? Well, first of all, confusion. Like in my story, I was confused. I wasn't sure whether it was my anxiety or their anxiety. And I think we all are probably a little bit confused. There's no clear line here. So we have to wonder, how do I tell my stuff from your stuff? And the other thing we might want to avoid here is being overwhelmed by somebody else's experience when we mirror it in our body. Sympathetic pain is real pain. So when you're with someone who's having a very powerful emotional experience, it's a powerful experience in your body as well. 
I was with um, a friend of mine whose daughter died of an accidental drug overdose, 21 years old. I can't imagine that pain. All I could do was sit there and feel with her. Sit there and cry with her. And to not be overwhelmed, I had to keep coming back to my breath. And I had to give myself space to go by myself and have my own emotional experience about it. Overwhelm's a real thing. What do we cultivate to be more receptive in our body listening? We talked about that, that outgoing awareness, that presence of ours, how our body language can't be faked. So an awareness of our own body is really helpful in this. And then we can cultivate that intuition, cultivate that of a willingness and ability to accept what's coming in. And I think the practices that Vicki's sharing with us, is, they're really important in being able to do that. You know, unless you are guided in the way she's guiding us to be able to say, now let's notice this part of our body. Now let's notice when we do this, how it changes our body. We don't have the the dexterity to notice even what's coming in. So she's really helping us gain the dexterity. It's almost like practicing our scales. So when it's time for us to play the concerto, we have the dexterity to do it. Okay, you've listened really well. So this is the whole chart. I've actually simplified this. It used to be bigger. <laughs> and we can, we can get you a copy of that chart. But basically, if, if, you want, if you take away anything from this, it's that we listen with our head, it's the thinking center. We listen with our heart, it's the feeling center. We listen with our body, it's the sensing center. That's enough. That's enough. How are we doing for time? How about guiding us in just like a two minute stretch? <laughs> and then I've got an idea for an activity where we can practice this. Would you be willing to do that little activity? But I think we've been sitting long enough. We could use a little stretch. <laughs> 